Episode 33 of the podcast is with Chris Neville. Chris is currently the le- lecturer in football science at Solent University in Southampton. Chris is an extremely experienced coach. He's been at numerous clubs across his career, including Blackburn, Portsmouth, and he was also with England as well. And a very, very experienced coach with loads of knowledge, and he's now working in the university setting. Chris came on to talk about some of the lessons he's learned from transitioning from football into other sports, and most recently with uh, motor racing that he's been working with. He also spoke about the pros and cons of early specialisation and some of his views on that are really good because he he related it not just to players but also to coaches as well. And then his top advice for young coaches too. Chris is actually going to be the host of our next network meeting which is on the 28th of June, Friday the 28th of June down in Southampton at Solent University. Unfortunately... I'm actually no longer going to be able to be there, but Mark Armitage, who's a previous guest on the podcast, is going to be running the meeting for uh, for us. I am currently in a leg cast with a ruptured Achilles, which is really enjoyable, as I'm sure you well know. Um, so Mark's going to run the meeting. Um, to get Mark involved with it as well, Chris, is, is amazing because they're two top practitioners and to be honest, you're probably better listening to them than me. So uh, I really appreciate Mark going down to Southampton and running the meeting with Chris. It looks set to be a top, top event. We're going to base the meeting round pre-season. So loads of coaches are going to be down there chatting about all elements of pre-season and hopefully helping you design your pre-season plan. If you are interested in going to the meeting, you can go onto our website, which is footballfitfed.com click on network meeting and event at the top and it you if you go onto the Solent University network meeting tab tickets are available on there and the meeting is going to run 6 to 9 p.m on Friday the 28th of June the university I'm, I'm a gutted I can't go down there to be honest because the university and the pictures that Chris has sent over it looks amazing the facility looks absolutely quality so I hope that um, in the future I'll be able to get down there at some point so it'll be great for everyone to see. Chris was also a speaker at last year's Soccer Science. So it's one of the first places I saw Chris speak was at Soccer Science. And we, as this podcast goes out, we are just over a week away from the 2019 Soccer Science Conference. There are still tickets available. So if you want to get your tickets, go to the same place on the website, footballfitfed.com, network meetings and events, and click on Soccer Science Conference, and then make sure you use code FFF10 at checkout for 10% discount. Loads of great speakers. Gary Neville's a keynote speaker. There's Shane Murphy. Um, Reese Carr is now speaking as well. So absolute quality lineup, and I really recommend anyone to go because last year was great, but this year looks set to be even better. I hope you enjoyed the episode with Chris. It was great to speak to him. And if you are interested in listening to him speak again, like I say, go and get your ticket for the network meeting in Southampton. Enjoy the episode with Chris. Welcome to episode 33 of the Football Fitness Federation podcast. Today, I am joined by Chris Neville. Chris is the lecturer in football science at Solent University in Southampton. Chris, thanks for coming on. Oh, you're welcome, Ben. It's nice to be on. Thanks for inviting me. 
We were just saying then that if um, any any lads around us watching us trying to get this sorted, it'd be known as an absolute shambles because it's taken us a good 45 minutes to get the call sorted. Help us with bread rolls. <laughs> but we're on now and hopefully people take plenty from it. So um, thanks for coming on, mate. Really appreciate it. No problem. You're welcome. How's things down there? Good. Yeah, it's uh, it's a transition um, coming out of uh, full-time football, obviously, in 2017 uh, into a university environment. Um, I've only ever seen it from one side, obviously, as a student, but uh, it's been an interesting transition. Um, I think uh, coming back down to Southampton, where my family live, um, from four years at Blackburn, um, I didn't really have much to do. And then uh, the university here contacted me talking about setting up uh, an integrated uh, undergraduate and master's degree in football science, um, and which looked very attractive. And um, so I came down, met the guys, and um, yeah, here I am. Um, so it's, it's good. It's good. It's, it's in its first year, the, the course, so it's uh, early days, but, um, and it's taken a little bit of time for me to transition out of such a fast-moving industry, um, but it's, uh, it's all good fun. So you mentioned there about obviously being in football full-time, and I'm sure a lot of people are aware of the clubs you've been at, but do you want to just run us through the, your previous roles? Yeah, uh, so I started, when I first started uh, in 2001, I was um, uh, at uh, Portsmouth Football Club and had a uh, long time at Pompey. Um, and then in 2007, I was offered the opportunity to go over to the States. So I left uh, and went to Los Angeles uh, for just under a year. Um, came back in 2008, um, back into to Pompey, uh, to Portsmouth. Um, and then in 2013, um, I was offered the opportunity to go up to Blackburn um, and uh, work with the guys up there. And so that was where I was until 2017. So, yeah, it's uh, not that many clubs, really, um, over the time. I spent four years at Blackburn and probably the majority of my time was in Portsmouth. And a bit of time with England? Yeah, yeah, a little bit of time with England uh, in different guises, different roles. Um, initially in 2006 in Germany and then uh, the lead-up campaign to that and then uh, from 2012 through to 2016. Yeah. And what, what was the biggest difference between being day-to-day in a club and, and working with the international setup? I suppose really it's just uh, knowing how the players tick and knowing what they've been doing in a, on a day-to-day basis. Of course, you're national team you're blending the requirements of in this case maybe six to eight different clubs and uh, their different philosophies training philosophies and so on um and of course you know understanding players and and being able to manage that situation when you're working in a club of course you're working with them day in day out and you don't just know them as players um and how they train and the professional environment you know them quite well as, as individuals and, and a lot of their personal stuff as well so that helps you to to manage and, and I suppose um, be more effective in, in your role. Um, with England, there's, a, there's you know, a lot of people involved, of course, and, and good communication. The clubs are great um, in terms of communication with the, with us um, and helping us understand about their players. Um, but I suppose that's the biggest difference, really. And you've mentioned there, uh, well, you mentioned before when we, were, when we were offline that you've done some work recently out of football as well and obviously now at the university. So what are some of the big lessons you've taken from 
um, the clubs you've been at and the experiences you've had in football? Uh, do you mean compared to, to, to non-football? Uh, yeah. Yeah, so I, I suppose um, having spent quite a few years in football, um, you naturally become one-dimensional in terms of you know, looking at a sport from within the sport, if you like, and gaining your experience and your knowledge from being within the sport. And, um, you know, if I go back to spin back to when I first started, of course, you, you're very much a novice, you're very green and, and you make lots of mistakes. And, and that's how we learn and, and try to embrace those mistakes as long as you don't make them too often. And that's how we learn and we grow as practitioners. And um, I think as you get older in the tooth, if you like, um, I found it valuable to look at other, maybe other industries, look at business, maybe look at the arts, look at different things that were enabled us to be effective in our practice within football. Um, but actually coming down now, working at the university and, and having the opportunity actually to, to be involved in other, other sports, I've, I've seen some value in, in that. And that, I mean, I, I do a little bit of work in motorsport at the moment and I'm completely, I mean, that's, that's one end of the spectrum to the other. And, I'm completely green and a novice again um, and asking questions and people are looking at me going, what are you, are you crazy? What are you asking that question for? Um, but that's what I did, you know, football all those years ago. So, and I, I, quite, I kind of quite like that vulnerability to a degree because it means that I'm, I'm growing, if you like, and I'm understanding a little bit more. And I'm being challenged in that respect. And um, so I think there's a balance to be had really for, for our students coming out of our football science course here I think it's important that they understand if they want to go into football obviously they understand the industry and what the industry is about and that's important for them to have that kind of one-dimensional uh, element to their learning um, but over the course of time um, we come to realize that there's maybe other things that can influence how we do things for, from a positive perspective um, and yeah, I've enjoyed uh, challenging myself a little bit, I suppose, over <laughs> the time. You think those are some questions that just don't get asked though when you're involved in football all the time? Like the, the questions that you ask going into a sport that you don't really know too much about, do you think that that's something that people just get set in their routines and they don't ask those questions? Yeah, possibly. Um, I, I think it's I think it's very dependent on the individual. I think it's very dependent on the environment as well. There's lots of lots of variables probably that go into that. I think if if maybe you're working, let's say, at a club with a head coach, it's quite a forward-thinking, maybe an inquisitive coach themselves, and, and applying different methodologies within their own philosophy, um, then maybe they encourage staff that are working with them the support mechanisms to do the same thing. So that maybe there's that encouragement there. I think looking at some of the clubs now, the practitioners that are working at maybe some of the big clubs as well now come from outside the football industry. So and we've seen it with the England team as well, with some of the practitioners that are working there now come from outside football. So they're bringing a different mindset and a different knowledge base to football for the best, if you like, of the game. Um, that's not to say that people within football, of course, are growing, but I think we've it's healthy for us to look outside um, in order to, for us to just kind of determine what is the best practice for us and, and, and what is gold standard really, I suppose, across all sports. And maybe there is some argument that we've been a little bit insular at times and, and um, I think now we've, we've realised that there is some value in that. 
I think it, all I can do sometimes is just make you justify what you're doing, isn't it? It doesn't necessarily change the practice too much. I mean, it might in some cases, depending on what's going on, but it can make it can make coaches justify it if they do get questions from the outside. Yeah, I think it's maybe sitting in the safe zone sometimes, isn't it? Um, and doing what we've always done because of the way we've always done it. And, and maybe that's not pushing boundaries and, and enabling things to develop. And of course, with anything, whether it's developing knowledge or education or developing practice, at times we have to, guidedly, if that's the right phrase, um, push the boundaries. And, and we will get it right sometimes and we will get it wrong sometimes. And as long as it's not you know, critically wrong, then. Um, I don't see any reason for that. That's how we develop in anything. Um, you know, we're in an industry in our particular area where, you know, we're evidence-driven and we, we need to use that to push our boundaries. But I think at the same time, there's a balance to be had with, within any environment um, because all the environments, and as I said, the coaches and the coaching philosophies and clubs and culture is different. And I think that over time, probably for experienced practitioners, is, is that adaptability is probably one of the key elements that probably the younger guys coming into the, into the game now don't necessarily naturally have. Um, but, of course, when you've worked for lots of head coaches and, and lots of environments and so on, then you probably have this kind of adaptability or, or have this kind of, yeah, mindset of adaptability tonight. Because we speak a lot about early specialisation in terms of players, don't we? And we had a little chat about it before, but that ties into coaches and practitioners as well, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I think it's interesting, isn't it? We, we, like you say, we, we chatted off there about kind of early specialisation with players and then there's quite a bit of uh, publicity, I suppose, about do we push our players to specialise in a certain sport for too early and, and for too, you know, too much and, and is there value in exposing them to multi, multidisciplinary or multi, multiple sports and so on. Um, but I think you know, with, with our practitioners as, as, as we football scientists and as we come into the game, I think there's certainly value in looking at specialisation and that's certainly something we're doing at the university now is, is kind of looking at specialisation of not just sports scientists but football scientists. Um, but I think also, and like I said before, I think once you get into the game a little bit and you, you see that there's a value outside football as well, I think then maybe this, maybe this early specialisation is possibly a good thing, but then there is a time when you realise actually that we need to diversify a little bit as well. And like I said, I've kind of seen the value in, in my case, it's kind of working in the motorsport, but it could be anything. Um, I've worked with some sailors down in the, on the South Coast and the same thing, you know, they're their needs are very different and therefore it gets me thinking much laterally, much more laterally than I have done in the past. So, yeah, I think there's, in answer to your question, there's probably value in, in early specialisation for us coming into the game, our younger guys coming into the game. But I think once you're there and then there's a start to, to understand a little bit more broader um, picture, if you like, of, of, of how we can strengthen our practice. I suppose that'd be the argument with, with coaches in football that you do need to get on the ladder, I suppose, and, and get into clubs and then work. if you do want to end up at some of the top clubs, work your way up, earn your stripes or whatever you want to say. Um, but that doesn't stop or shouldn't stop coaches doing exactly what you're saying to do, isn't it? They can, they've still got plenty of time. They've still got time to go out to other sports and learn from other sports alongside that. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, there's definite value in that. Um, 
I think it's 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 important just that it's valuable, but I think it's important that we do expose ourselves to uh, to different different challenges and, and meeting different challenges. Um, and even though you know at times you don't see the value in that, maybe maybe you, I don't know you're in a so you get some work experience in hockey or basketball or something different and you maybe don't see the value in that. But maybe three, spin that forward three or four years and now you've got a job in football, you've been working with an academy in three or four years' time maybe and then you revert back and say, oh, I remember what I did in basketball, I remember how I came over, overcame that issue in, in netball or whatever it was. Um, and, you know, so, so you don't necessarily see the value immediately but I think using that, those skills is, is, is important. These skills transfer as well, don't they? Because if you take like basketball, for example, you're working on decelerating, accelerating, change direction. That's going to cross over, isn't it? It's just on a bigger scale. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I spent most of my time, I suppose, with, I've been very fortunate with, with senior teams. But, you know, you look at growth and maturation, for example, with, with some, of our, some of our academy guys. Well, you know, we've got 14-year-old footballers, but they're also maybe exposed to tennis or swimming or gymnastics or athletics or something else as well so you know they're, they're maturing in different sports um, and they're maturing in different ways and I think you know they're still adolescents they're still going through the same uh, elements of change that, that anybody does regardless of the sport so if you if you're working in athletics for example as a practitioner but you're also working in football then there's I'm sure there's certainly some crossover in developmental stuff yeah I think it's important that's another point, isn't it? That it's not just in terms of specialising in a certain um, in a certain sport, but ages, different ages, different genders. Obviously, being involved in female sport as well, you can you can learn from all these things, can't you? And that builds your skill set. Yeah, like we said before off air, I think you know there's there's multiple variables, isn't there, to, to being a good practitioner? What is a good practitioner? I think it's you know multiple variables that go into it, and I think having Having those those multiple skill sets and bringing them together, um, you know, sort of, is, is where we're aiming towards. But you know, whether we'll ever get there, I don't know because obviously things are changing all the time. And I think that particularly in our sport, things develop so quickly. Um, I think having that mindset of underpinning what we know and and having that sort of kind of strength and foundation, <clears throat> but at the same time, <clears throat> excuse me, at the same time having a um, a mindset of growth and being able to use what is developing um, in, a, in a practical and positive way. And I know some coaches that have done a similar sort of transition to, do when, to you when they go into different sports and it's perhaps a sport that's got a, a very definitive, like competitive, like it's a final or something like that. Whereas with football, we've obviously got to prepare every single week and sometimes two, three times a week. So, have you found that? Is that a big difference in terms of what you've worked in? Because obviously in, in um, the sports that you're involved in now, I suppose there's like a, there's certain days they've got to be ready for and, and it's less, is it less frequent? Is that fair to say? Or? Um, so, so I'll give you an example. At the moment I've done a little bit of work in motorsport, motorcycle racing, and some of the guys I work with, they ride in two or three countries a week, every week. Um, so it, on the surface, that's a crazy schedule. Um, and it does bring up loads of challenges. But when I refer back to kind of pre-season, for example, in football, where we're, tra- we're, we're training, we're traveling, we're playing, we're recovering, we're traveling, and so on. And there's a big crossover between what we've done in football in pre-season periods, for example, with what those guys currently do and they do throughout their season. 
Um, so even though on the surface the sports are completely alien, um, you know, the detail sometimes is there are crossovers and, and that isn't something I would naturally have considered. Um, at the moment I've, I've done some work as well with sailors and that is about uh, tapering and, and, and planning and programming through a period um, into, a, into a major tournament. Um, they'll sail every week, but in effect that's training or practice for major tournaments, which are periodic. So um, again, that again brings in a different kind of skill set. And, and I suppose you know, when we go back to pre-season again, um, you know, we plan pre-season, we plan maybe got this periodized approach to the way we do things. Um, and effectively, this is a longer periodization um, of their planning into a major tournament. Um, so yeah, it's, there's, there's lots of crossover with what we've done in the past. And that's why I'm saying flip that over to spending time in other sports and then maybe there's some influence in football when our practitioners work in football, um, but they won't necessarily see it immediately. It might be down the line that they bring those skills or, they, or whatever it was they learned in another sport. And so, so the question around, Chris, if you were to go back into full-time football, say tomorrow at a club, what would be some of the things that you've um, been putting into play with the sports you're involved in now or the university that you perhaps weren't doing before, weren't prioritising as much before, if anything? Yeah, that's a really good, that's a really good question. I, I think um, I've been out of the game for years now, and that's so, you know, the game is developing, I suppose, that, that much. But I, I think there's, there's, a, there's a few things that I would probably do a little bit differently. But then having said that, um, I think there's so many variables that go into why we do what we do at a particular club. And, guys that listen to this will know if they've worked at multiple clubs or worked at multiple coaches that you know we, we do become adaptable and, and therefore if you do if I were to go back into football then you know it would be very much determined by not just my experiences and, and but very much the environment that you go into and the culture that you go into and the philosophy of the coach and so on um, that would drive why we do what we do and so um, probably skirted around that question really but <laughs> Oh, no, that's good. So you just mentioned there being adaptable there. Do you think that's one of the major skills that you'd look for or, or say that coaches need to be at the top of the game in football? Um, yeah, I suppose to a degree. I mean, there's, there's, there's being rigid. Uh, there's, then there's building some flexibility into your practice. And then, of course, it's being really adaptable. And I suppose there's, those areas are, are key. Um, I think, um, and again, they'll be determined by who, what you're doing at the time um, and how much you're allowed to be flexible um, and or not, as the case may be sometimes, um, and what is encouraged at that particular environment or that particular club. Um, you know, obviously, there's constraints with certain elements. If you're working in an academy, for example, there's certain constraints that, that have to be met. Um, and depending on the category within your academy, then obviously there's, there's certain things that need to be done or logged or whatever. Um, at first team level, uh, again, it depends, you know, whether you're working in the Premier League or you're working in League Two and obviously there's budgetary constraints and so on and so forth. So I think um, there's an element of flexibility and adaptability. And I'm not just talking about adapting to coaching needs or club needs, but, you know, if you take... Uh, lesser budgets if you like um, and therefore maybe less staff than you know been environments in the past and I'm sure many people have where you haven't got a budget and therefore you do become a 
jack of all trades. Um, and one minute you're making drinks, and the next minute you're doing warm ups, and the next minute you're doing strength and conditioning programs, the next minute you're doing writing programs, the next minute you're doing reports for coaches and so on. And, and I think that's valuable. And, and whether that creates the adaptability, I'm not sure. Um, but it's it certainly is a, a valuable, I think, a valuable lesson, knowledge lesson for, for our younger guys um, coming into the game now to to be exposed to that. Um, and that's not to say that you know people don't shouldn't aim to be specialists in a particular area. But I think that again, like working in other sports, I think you can bring valuable lessons in whatever it is when you, once you become specialised. Um, so yeah. Yeah, because I think when you speak to a lot of people that have sort of tied down on a certain area, they, when you delve deep into what they've done previously, they have drawn from a lot of other experiences and then really like took the sort of sniper approach, haven't they, after that amount of time that they've they found their area and then they've gone and, and gone deep into it. Whereas a lot of people, I think, think that they should just really specialise in that area from the get-go and stick with it, and then and then they'll develop from there. But it, I think I think you're right. Is that we need that to develop that skill set, don't we? Yeah, I think so. Uh, we talk to our students about it at the university. You know, when they come into the university, I want, I want to be in four years' time. I want to be this. We say to them that you know, you know you're going to have a four-year pathway out of this university, and there'll be units or, or modules in this degree that you don't like, and you just have to get through. And there'll be others that you love, and you just have, naturally have this kind of affinity um, with. And I think. That's probably the same once you get into football. I remember um, I had a role at Portsmouth once. Where I had a couple of years. I was working in, in, in rehabilitation and um, late-stage rehab with the players. And I, I, can't re- I really enjoyed working one-to-one or one-to-two with players um, where you really get in-depth with the individual. Um, and I think, you know, you go through periods of your career where you, you end up doing different things and some things you enjoy more than others naturally. And that's possibly driven by your personality, your character, your skill set, and so on. Um, but I, I think, you know, we don't always w- walk into the job we want. <clears throat> um, but, you know, that doesn't mean to say that we shouldn't aim to, to specialise in a particular area um, if that's, you know, what we really enjoy doing in the long run. I think some people set out for a job as well, thinking that it's, it's going to be, not easy, but it's going to be yeah. different to what, what it is when they get there, don't they? And then they realise that you're right, like whether it's one-on-one or working within the team with, with a big group or whatever it is, it might be more rehab focused, it might be more um, like S&C or speed focused or whatever it is, but you've got to experience all these things to know that, haven't you? Yeah, I think so. And I, I think, again, going back to some, some of the guys here, when we try to expose them to... Um, Practitioners that are currently working in football because I think it's valuable. Those conversations are so valuable in, um, you know, learning um, different people's opinions. And, and of course, different people have different experiences of, of the same situation. Um, but I think that's really valuable in, ga- in gaining an understanding, a more in-depth understanding of what practitioners or, or, or sports scientists are doing in football now, what they've done through their career and the highs and lows and what works and what doesn't work. And I, I think those conversations, we, you can't teach those necessarily in a the classroom. They're, they're valuable lessons even before people graduate and get into the game. What's the general views of, of like students? Because I remember coming through and we were, the, the way pro sport or elite sport was talked about, and especially football, it was very different to how it probably is day to day. It was spoke about very different. So with, with you, with your experience, 
how do you approach it with students and also how, what's their sort of views on it when you speak to them? We, um, we interview our, our students actually before they start here and one of the questions we ask them is, you know, what do you like about the industry and, or what's your perception of a like of the industry and what, what don't you like in the industry? And of course, a lot of that comes from the media and stuff and what they read. Um, and it's, it's really interesting to see the kind of variation in people's opinions or perceptions, if you like, of what football is. Um, but the difference, I suppose, with our course is that they, they're all, they all have aspirations of going into football, not just from a general sports science perspective. So they do have a perceived idea. And some are actually playing football um, at a high level anyway. So they kind of understand they're in clubs and they, they're connected with clubs and they understand a little bit more than than not um but um i think yeah over time those sometimes those perceptions or what they perceive to be true is is challenged um and that's only the natural process i think um and again what 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 sometimes um is true in one club is not necessarily true of the same question in another club you understand what i mean yeah yeah, and that, that's funny as well, isn't it? Because some, and I spoke to John Lucas about it, where he was saying that when practitioners stay at clubs so long, they get really comfortable and they don't realise what goes on at other clubs under different managers, with different coaches, with different players. And it's all contextual, isn't it, club to club? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, it's funny, isn't it? You get, you get kind of at your club and, and then you, the only exposure you have of another club is when you're kind of setting your warm-up up on a Saturday afternoon, you bump into the guy from the other team. So you have a chat for 10 minutes and that's it. That's the only really exposure you get. You don't really know what everybody else is doing. And um, and then coming out, like I've been very fortunate to be able to kind of go to around a few places and actually see, oh, this is, this is what you've been doing and that's what you've been doing and so on. So it's, it's yeah, it's been, that's been, that's been interesting. But like you say, you do get comfortable in the club and in the, in the way your club do it. Um, and, so I think sometimes, again, it's kind of healthy to share. And, and that's, you know, why events like you you have um, are important to, to allow, you know, peers to, to get together and network and, and talk about different things and how they do things and, and maybe different challenges and so on. And you obviously define that by leaving, leaving Portsmouth and then going back there as well. So it, I guess a lot of it in terms of location, in terms of the facilities were very familiar. But was it on a... On a I'm not too sure, like management and stuff, but I'm guessing that changed over that time as well, did it? Uh, it, it yeah, initially it, it didn't. I left uh, to go to the states, and, and uh, the team were flying actually at the time in the Premier League, and, and uh, they got in the final in that year in 2008. And uh, Harry Redknapp was the manager, and he was actually the manager when I came back in later on in that year. So um, yeah, I kind of left under the same regime. The players have slightly changed, but it was only a year, so it was uh, the same. Same set, generally the same set of players in the same facility, so I was fairly familiar with it. But um, yeah, of course, you know, as, as clubs develop, I've seen that Portsmouth, of course, getting promoted into the Premier League. Um, there's different challenges, different demands, and then of course, as the players have changed, and of course, that changes as well with facilities and development of training grounds and so on and so forth. So yeah, Good. was there's there generally a different feel at the club, the culture, and everything, or do you think that stayed over that time? No, I think, um, I mean, yeah, I think it, it changed for a while because obviously, you, you know, you've got a, a set of players that, that got the club into the Premier League, which was, which was a, a real good time in the club. Um, 
and then you know just the natural process of, of player changes um, and there was you know coaching changes and so on um, you know there were, were cultural changes and of course you know it's well documented the, the, the issues that Pompey had financially and stuff later on in that period um, and of course that brings its different you know, different challenges um, and we have to manage that and you know it's uh, that was probably the, the period of my career which was weirdly enough the lowest point but in some respects a good point because um, as as Pompey um, you know had the, had the financial problems you know find it difficult to get paid and, and so on and you know, kind of, you know, the guys at Bolton have had the same sort of issue this year and it's a, it's a difficult time and of course the players the same um, and but actually it, it brought the playing element of the club very close very very close because we all had the same issues you had the same problems you all had to pay mortgages and so on and um, it was uh, you know even the club was a difficult period of course and very challenging and, and points deductions and administration and so on um, but it also um, brought an element of togetherness within the playing staff, and so that was, um, yeah, so that was a, a strange feeling, really, because obviously on the outside it was a terrible period, but on the inside there was some there were some good elements to it, which is strange, yeah. really. And I suppose it brings everyone together at that time as well, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does because everybody's kind of suffering, and and, and you know it's well documented how good the Pompey fans are, and I think the same thing they could see what was what was happening within the club, if you like, with, with the with the staff and so on. And that was, um, you know, there was a togetherness within the city. Mm. And this might be a bit of a broad question, but what I wanted to get from you is some advice for young coaches. So whether that's like post-grads just coming out of university or whether it is the same, the sort of guys that you're working with like right now, we've said about obviously specialisation, but, what would be some of your top advice to coaches that are looking to get into football? Um, I think I'm sure this is echoed by your other guests. Um, taking as many opportunities as you can, um, both in terms of taking the grassroots is probably non-league and and in league. If you get those opportunities, um, then take grab them with both hands. Um, and at times they may be unpaid. So, for example, at the university, some clubs and individual players come in here doing physiological testing. We encourage our students just come down and see what happens um, and just be around and collect some data and so on um, because it's important to to get that knowledge base and have those conversations. And so I would say to, to young practitioners trying to get into the game is take the opportunities as they can, create those opportunities email, letters, network, conferences, events, and so on, um, get on the internet and find out what's happening and where it is um, and get to as many things as you can. Um, and, you know, make those contacts um, and just upskill yourself as much as you can and don't don't feel like you've ever kind of got the answers to everything um, because there's always something new to learn. So just continue that learning process. Um, whatever whatever level you're at, if you've done your bachelor degree, then go on and do your masters. Maybe if you've done that, then go and learn and read and 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 so on. And like I say, you know, having exposure in different sports also helps as well. So I would balance that out. Yeah, but that would be my number one. I'd probably echo in what your other guests have said. You know, go out and get as much experience as you can. Um, 
yeah. Yeah, and there's those opportunities there. There's loads, isn't there? And all you got to be is proactive to go and actually seek them out. Yeah, Just I think trying out for it. Yeah, definitely, Ben. I think if you're on the other side and you're in a club and you see somebody who's got this willingness to to learn and the willingness to write letters and the willingness to come into interviews and to help, um, then that goes a long way. Um, and uh, so I think, you know, you know if, you, if you put things together right um, and you show a willingness to, to help and to learn, then the people at the clubs see that in, in pretty good light. I'm thrilled to say that we are going to be joining you down in, uh, down in Southampton on the 28th. Yeah, I hope it's sunny. <laughs> I'm hoping it's sunny as well. It's the only holiday I'm getting this year. <laughs> so we will be coming down. We're doing, we're, you guys are obviously hosting a network meeting. So when at the time of this podcast goes out, I think it's just over two weeks away. Yeah, Friday, twenty eighth. And obviously, you, you've um, you've put it together. You've said about doing it as a, a preseason theme, which I think is a great idea. Obviously, tying in with the time of year. So, do you want to touch a little bit on? on where we're going to go with it, what sort of things we're going to go into. Yeah, I think, well, it's, a, it's an opportunity really to, to for peers and you know, people kind of work, working in football or wanting to work in football to come down to the university to spend an evening with us. It'll be between six and nine o'clock, three hours in the evening, um, where we kind of chew the fat over pre-season and share our experiences. And I, I kind of share some of my stuff in the past, if you like, but... Um, that will only be a guide. I think there's lots of areas of football that I've never worked in and, and you know, practitioners that are working in academies, for example, I've never worked with under 15s or under 16. So I, you know, I can learn as much. And I think it's a nice environment or a healthy environment if we can get into that, into groups where we can share our experiences and kind of build up what is pre-season about and why do we do what we do. Um, and it'll be, there'll be various things going on. So maybe we'll have a, interactive talk for a while and then a little bit of maybe group and then some some networking and an opportunity over tea and coffee just to like I say just to chew the fat um and uh yeah and hopefully we'll have a few um experienced heads around that people can bounce ideas off and um yeah it'll be, it'll be a good evening for anyone that wants um to grab the tickets for that they'll be on our website so footballfitfed.com and um, we said before that if anyone's got questions, that not everyone la- thinks of questions on the spot at these events. So if you do think of things that you want to ask and you want to take to Chris or any of the other guys that are going to be there, write them down or send them us before. And then we can get, we can get those, those questions or those areas covered in the network tasks that we are going to do or even in the presentation as well. Yeah, I, I, yeah, we, we use that. Um, we can use some interactive tools and stuff with the presentations that... Uh, you know, people, if they want to ask some questions in advance or they want to ask questions just through the evening, then they can just bang it out on their phone. It'll connect up and so we can uh, try and uh, answer those questions or at least uh, get some get, get into the detail a bit. Yeah, awesome. So if, if anyone's got any questions, Chris, or they want to reach out to it, where is the best place to do it? Uh, probably through the university um, down here or uh, via the normal kind of social media channels, Twitter and so on. Um, not not uh, prolific on Twitter, but um, yeah, C underscore Nev1. Yeah, anybody that wants to find out any questions um, or um, through the university, uh, chris.neville at solent.ac.uk. Awesome. 
Well, I hope uh, people reach out and as many people join us on the 28th as possible because I'm looking forward to it. Getting yeah. a bit of a, a breakdown there and seeing this um, this new facility as well. It sounds amazing. Yeah, no, we're really lucky. Very lucky. It's a it's a yeah, it's a it's a training it's a training ground. <laughs> yeah. But um, bring your factor 30, mate. Up <laughs> <laughs> that to 50. I mean, we don't get much sun up here. <laughs> amazing, mate. Well, thanks a lot for coming on, Chris. No problem. And I'll, uh, if I don't speak to you before, I will see you on the 28th. You will indeed. Thanks for having us, Ben. Stop, man. Thanks a lot. All right. See you. It was great to have Chris on the podcast. I'm delighted that we were able to attract practitioners like Chris and some previous guests. Like when we first set it up, I didn't think that was going to be possible. So I really appreciate him giving up his time. You can follow uh, Chris on Twitter. He's at C underscore Nev1. But you can also follow the university, so that's at Solent, which is S-O-L-E-N-T, Uni, U-N-I. Um, you go and follow those guys as well and check out the facility down there. It looks amazing. Two of the biggest takeaways for me from the podcast were where Chris spoke about early specialisation for coaches. So we talk about it a lot for players, but for coaches as well. So exposing yourself to different sports, seeing how different sports do it, not necessarily... Um, meaning you end up in those sports if you have intentions of staying in football but you can learn a lot from going out and seeing how different practitioners in different sports do things and um, carry that over to football and use it in the right in the right circumstance and have that in your toolbox if needed and also his views on football specialists so we spoke to Mike Boyle spoke about this actually on his podcast where he said that he obviously hadn't played soccer or football or however you want to say how whatever you want to call it but he's, he's seen that as a good thing and people can give different views to it and sometimes we get caught up doing the same thing just because that's what we've always done it's not questioned so much so that was a, a really good discussion i had with chris about that so i hope you took loads from that i mentioned at the start of the episode we are not long away now just over a week away from soccer science so if you do want to go and get your tickets, I do recommend it. It's a great lineup. Chris was a speaker last year, but there's loads of great speakers this year again. Um, you can go to footballfitfed.com, network meetings and events, tab at the top, and then click Soccer Science. As you're getting your ticket, when you go through checkout, use code FFF10. That'll give you 10% off. If anyone's at Soccer Science, I'll be the guy hobbling around on crutches, so come and give me a shout, um, and then I'll be free for a coffee and a chat with as many people as possible, and I hope to see as many of you guys there as, as we can. As always, thank you very much for listening, and I will speak to you again next week. <laughs>